Good morning. Do you know you don't complete me? Oh, and neither do my kids. But I really like my kids. I love my kids. So uh, we're completing the uh, You Don't Complete Me series. And today it's uh, trying to sit in this place where we don't idolize our children. But we should love them and like them. That'd be good. But not idolize them. So we'll try to touch on a few points as we, as we kind of scroll through today, this morning. I want to just highlight a couple things. I've been uh, asked to just uh, mention that my wife and I are doing a couple seminars coming up. Um, March 2nd, we're doing the uh, uh, pre-marriage seminar. So if you're engaged or pretty close to it or been dating for a while, wondering if we should make this thing happen or not, then uh, come on out on... March the 2nd, Saturday, it'll be here. You can check online for the details. And then in April, uh, the 19th and 20th, that's a Friday and a Saturday, we're doing a marriage enrichment uh, kind of Friday, Saturday weekend. We'd love to have you come and have us add a couple more things to your incredible relationship toolbox you have, maybe tune them a little bit. And if we don't say anything that's new for you, it still would be good for you to come because we'll, we'll give you an opportunity to chat with your spouse a little bit and have a little time away from your busy schedule. And even that, in the essence of it, would be helpful for you. So take a look online. We'd love to have you come be a part of that. Also, uh, we're talking about parenting and not idolizing our children. Okay, so if, if you're here and you're single, um, if you're a single parent, obviously you have kids. But if you don't have kids... Okay, I just want to invite you to kind of sit in the place of, Lord, what would you have for me today? What can I learn? Because you probably know some children, and you might have some relationship with some children, and you were a child. And in fact, you probably still are somebody's child. Yes? Yes. All right, so try to sit in that today if you can. All right, so, so what happens? How do we get to that place where people idolize their children? Yesterday we had um, my granddaughter, I have one granddaughter, uh, many of you know uh, my son Dalen, his wife Crystal, and our, our little uh, granddaughter, uh, and yesterday she turned one. It's like a big deal, you know, like if we think about a year ago where she couldn't walk and she couldn't communicate by hand language and all that stuff, and today, right, she can walk around, and she's got all these little, I mean, some of you know what this stuff means, right, you're learning things, okay, so I'm learning sign language too, it's pretty cool watching this little person, right, so we, we had a few people come in, a few people flew in, you know, great grandma and auntie, and that was a big deal, yeah, the house was full of people, all her little friends there and stuff, yeah, yeah, we, we celebrated her, we celebrated her well, we, we celebrated the fact of where, where things have gone over the last year and how she's grown. Yeah, we're all here excited about, about her. We celebrated her mom and dad. We had a great time celebrating. Yeah, we, we don't want to idolize her, but we're just full of life because of the beautiful person that God's given this gift, an eternal human being that will spend all of eternity with us and who God's crafted in such a way that he has good good plans for her for the rest of her life, and mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and, and community and people that love her, we just want to help her to know that so that she can be all of who God designed for her to be, but we don't want to idolize her. What happens? What happens that people, parents, might move to this place of idolizing their, ch- their children? 
Well, let, let me start off with, I think that, that um, it's God's idea for the family and parenting. Even if you think about the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it's, it's like it has, it, they have personality, they have, they have roles that they play. God's idea was the family, the system of the family. It's intended to be a safe place for children to be born, to be born into, to grow up, a place where they can kind of learn to kind of come and go. Uh, early on, when, when our kids were smaller, we were doing a home group, and uh, we had quite a few kids at one point. I think it was like 14 kids. And the age group kind of went from, let's say, 12, maybe 13, all the way down to little people. And so the kids would kind of play in the basement. We would, um, you know, have the study up, upstairs as best we could as adults. But every now and then, these little people would come up. And they would come up from downstairs, you know, the ones that are like two. And, and they, didn't, they didn't understand when we were in the Holy of Holies praying. They didn't use their whispering voice to talk to their mom. They just kind of bounded in, talked to mom, talked to dad, made a big scene. Why? Because um, they, they weren't meaning ill will. They were just uh, coming and needing to just touch mom a little bit and uh, be around mom and dad and kind of uh, settle again. And they'd kind of stay there for well, a few minutes, sometimes for, for a longer time. And then eventually they'd hear the kids downstairs again and they were safe enough to go back downstairs and go play with the kids. There's this coming and going, this place about being okay, having mom or dad be there, they're safe for us, now I'm okay, I can venture out, I can come back. The family is a good system. It's not a guarantee that everything in a family will will go well. And obviously, all of us are a little unhealthy and aren't perfect. But it's a great system for society and for families, for children to grow up in. It's God's idea. Not perfect. Even if you and I grew up in a Christian home, even if you and I have friends that grew up in a Christian home, not, not all homes all the time were always perfect. None of, us, none of them were. And that means that sometimes we picked up some things that perhaps we might even know some people that didn't grow up in a Christian home and actually they have a greater emotional intelligence than some of the Christian friends we have. It's not a guarantee, but it's still a great system that God put together that can help society and help parents raise children in a way that they can be healthy and can move towards the things that God has for them. Your home will be different than mine. I have my strengths. My wife has her strengths. Try not to kind of measure yourself by my home. I remember visiting people at times when we were raising our kids. I thought, my goodness, their, their home looks a lot different than mine. Yeah, I should probably kind of catch up a little bit. Ooh, and then have to sit back in the place. But I don't carry those gifts. My, my home's a little different. My wife and I have different personalities. I'm way more concerned about whether my kids will like me than my wife is. Oh, sorry. Uh, my wife has different personalities, strange to me. She's really good at kind of making sure, keeping things organized, keeping things rolling. Yeah, yeah, she loves our kids. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more concerned. Are we okay as we're kind of moving about getting things done? And if we don't get things done, that's okay as long as we're okay with each other. Okay, okay, that might not be your personality. That might be your spouse's. It's okay. Don't fight each other. Understand that actually we're different and we have, 
we discipline differently. And actually, those are strengths that we bring so that we as a couple can manage and do the best we can to parent our kids because we're different. No guarantees. You know, Adam and Eve had a really, really good parent. Whew. Yeah, top notch. But they blew it. So cut yourself some slack. You don't need to be perfect. But it's helpful if we keep the main thing the main thing. All right, let's run through a few things. Parents help children know that they, as children, have meaning and purpose that's unique to them and their gifting. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, this verse 8 is pretty familiar to, to a lot of us. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, that's that whole thing about, right, hey, hey, folks, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're never going to work enough to be able to earn your salvation. But you can rest in the truth of the work that Christ has done. It's enough. Okay, then let's go to verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for us from the beginning of time. Parents help children to know that God has put their finger on them and he has uniquely crafted them. How do they do that? In all kinds of ways. Hey, you can run really fast. Hey, you're really good at reading. Oh, hey, you're really kind-hearted. Hey, you line up your cars really organized, all those little trucks there. Hey, you're, you're really organized. Yeah. They're calling them out, naming what they carry, and as they grow older, they continue to do that so that the, the child can sit in this place of understanding, actually, God's uniquely wired me, and he's created good works for me to do, and a parent's job is to help them to understand their gifts and then to help them to understand what the options are and what God's wired for them, for them to do so that whether they choose this vocation or that vocation or this spouse or, or this vacation, et cetera, et cetera, or this friendship, they know, oh, part of what I carry is this part of, this part of what I carry. This, this part of what I'm good at. So they're able to step into that, not with arrogance, but with confidence. Children would also know, parents help children also to know that they're loved. Oh, sorry. That's the rest of that other verse, right? Hang on, let's keep going here. No, no. Jeremiah 29, 3 and 4. Okay. Um, it's actually the wrong passage. It's Jeremiah uh, chapter 31, verses 3 and 4. My apologies on that. Okay, so here, here it says. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. He's speaking to, obviously, through the, through the prophet, to the nation of Israel. Parents help children to know that they're loved and that the Father delights in them. They do that by how they love and delight in their children. So that when they make that passage of moving out of the out of the home in different ways as a junior high or high school and then a young adult, that they know, I know that the Father loves me because actually that's what I experience in my home. I can make that transition. Even though my mom and dad can't travel with me, the Father travels with me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. And I can trust Him because my parents have helped me to understand that because they've modeled it to me in how they've loved me. They've also walked in their own life 
showing the truth of, I know the Father's love. The parent knows the Father's love. Hmm. Children also, parents also help children to know that they can trust the Lord, that no matter what happens, he's there with them. They'll be okay. They're more than any one person's opinion or any one given event. He's the keeper of their soul. Nothing can separate them from the love of the Father. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swords? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons nor this present, the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height, height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's the keeper. They've walked alongside of us. They've helped us to understand that we're more than any one given event. They've stood with us through difficulty, so we've come to understand, you know, I'm okay. You know, you know how come I know I'm okay? I'm okay because mom and dad have stayed with me. Mom and dad have told me I'm okay. They've walked with me through incredible disappointments. Parents help kids to understand that they will be okay. They're more than any one given event. Okay, so what happens? Well, there's this whole attachment thing. Okay, kind of neat. You, you, lots of you have read about this attachment theory. We'll just touch on this here for a minute. Right, we got uh, John Bowlby, then we got Mary Ainsworth, and then we got uh, Bessel von Kolk, right? The body keeps the score, trauma therapy, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of you guys have read stuff on that, and you're learning about that. Fantastic. All right, here's a little jingle. Stages of attachment. Okay? Pre-attachment. Birth to six weeks, a baby shows no particular attachment for specific caregivers. Go right side, top corner. Indiscriminate. Six weeks to seven months, infants begin to show preference for primary and secondary caregivers. Bottom left. Discriminant. Seven plus months, an infant shows strong attachment for, to one specific caregiver. Multiple. Ten months and beyond, there's a growing bonds with other caregivers. Do you know my little granddaughter? She recognizes me now because she's 12 months old. Huh, kind of fun. Along the way, when she was like, you know, one month, didn't matter. Didn't matter who held her. In between, there's a little ups and downs, right? But I'm around enough that, yeah, she recognizes me. Okay? Attachment theory, pretty important. Helps children to understand that they're okay because of this give and take. Helps them to understand their self-esteem. When caregivers respond quickly and consistently, children learn that they can depend on the people who are responsible for their care, which is the essential foundation of attachment. I'm okay because. That helps children with their self-worth, self-understanding, self-respect, self-awareness, and obviously moves into adulthood as well. Here's a couple of things on, on healthy self-esteem. When you have a healthy self-esteem, you avoid dwelling on past negative experiences. You believe that you are equal to everyone, no matter, no better, no worse. You express your needs. You feel confident. You have a positive outlook in life. You say no when you want to. You see your overall strengths and weaknesses, and you accept them. Hmm, pretty good. If you have a low self-esteem, low self-worth, here would be some of the markers. 
You may believe that others are better than you in the very essence of who they are. You may find expressing your needs difficult. You may focus on your weaknesses. You may frequently experience fear, self-doubt, and worry. You're constantly managing your fear. You're on this treadmill of trying to make sure you're okay and managing your fear. You may have a negative outlook on life and feel a lack of control. Hmm, It's hard to have joy and peace when you are mostly seeing your future from a place of fear and things going bad. You may have an intense fear of failure. You may have trouble accepting positive feedback. Uh, you know, when someone compliments you and you go, oh, no, no, it's nothing. Right? It's hard to sit in that chair and be able to, to, to hear people talk about the strengths you carry and, and let it soak in and understand and be blessed by it and say, thank you, appreciate that. I'm glad I was able to help you. That's really hard. That can be really hard if we have a low self-worth. Yeah. Mm. Receiving compliments. Do you know, I, I really hope that you and I can move towards that place and be blessed. We do birthdays. We always do that thing where we embarrass people and we sit around. Right, we embarrass them. Yeah, we embarrass them. We encourage them and remind them who they are. Yeah. You know, funerals are great things. And great things are said about people. But I hope a lot of those things you heard before you got to that place where they were celebrating you at your funeral. Yeah. And there will be a day when you and I will stand before the Father and there will be thousands upon thousands of people who will say, that person encouraged me. That person, they touched my life. And I think it's okay if the good Lord allows some of those things to happen on this side of eternity as well. Can you hear positive feedback? You may have trouble saying no and setting boundaries. You may put other people's needs before your own. Oh, sometimes uh, we give a label to people. We call them people pleasers. Yeah, you know that Jesus' highest goal in life wasn't to make sure that people liked him and they would be pleased with him. It was that they would know the truth because if they know the truth, the truth would set them free. Yeah, how could, he, how could he do that? Because he actually sat in this place of he knew his self-worth and he was in fellowship with the Father and he had a deep desire that people would know the love of the Father and some people were unable to hear that and they didn't like him and that made him sad, but he was okay. You may struggle with self-confidence. All right, so yeah, kind of we learned some things along the way. We'll touch on that a little bit more. Here's, here's one more piece. Sometimes people can have excessive self-esteem. All right, so we sometimes label people narcissistic, okay? but that's quite a, you got to go through quite a process to get that really nailed down. But sometimes people hold some markers, all right? So whether we land in the ballpark of all that or not, here's some things about being, about being excessively, have excessive self-worth. It might sound like I'm preoccupied with being perfect. I may focus on always being right. I may believe that I cannot fail. I may believe, they may believe that they are more skilled or better than others. They may express grandiose ideas. They may grossly overestimate their skills or abilities. Hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you ever play team sports, you know, and uh, 
you know, it's like uh, playoffs, and uh, we're, we're running a pretty tight game. And Bob over there, who thinks he's the best player on the team, and everybody knows he's a four-stringer, and you're playing, you know, in that adult hockey league, and it's kind of like everyone, fair game and all that stuff. But it's playoffs. And everybody on the, on the, on the team, we, we, got a, we got a power play, right? And everyone's like, why is that guy on the ice? Doesn't he know he's a four-stringer? Get off the ice and let the guy who's got the best hands and the other guy that's the fastest skater, let that guy on there so they can get the puck to the front of the net and they can put it away. No, he's on the ice. Ooh, man. What happened there? Our parents did the very best they could, and I did the very best I could in parenting my kids. But, you know, if you go talk to them, most of them already have therapists. (laughs) Yeah, because I didn't do it perfectly. Nor did my wife. And you need to cut yourself some slack and not need to do it perfectly. Because your child didn't listen to Mozart in utero and might not be able to learn how to read before they get to grade one, it's okay. It's okay. They'll learn how to read. It's okay. Keep the main thing the main thing, which is you walking in the truth of the Father's love, you tuning into your stuff we'll talk about here in a minute, and you helping your kids to know they're loved and fearfully made. And if you don't do it perfectly, it's okay. Own up to it and keep coming back to the main thing. Okay, markers of healthy parenting, I would suggest. Not needing to be right or perfect. Being able to admit that "Ah, I didn't get this one figured out quite right. It's not about doing it perfectly. It's about being clear. Do you know, when we were raising our kids, you didn't feed feed your kids peanut butter because they had to be like 14 because you don't want them to get sick. (laughs) But you know, now there's a whole different philosophy. Introduce children early on, slowly, to different things like peanut butter so that they will be able to handle those things as they grow. Whoa, who knew? Do you know, you know, in my day, we used um, a thing called gripe water. Did you know there's alcohol in gripe water? <laughs> I, what were we doing? Man, they should wait, it, wait at least until they're 18 years old. We're introducing it to them when they're 18 months old. <laughs> Things have changed. Here's another one. I don't know where we were in our kids' thing. We had We had two or three kids at that point in time. And I'm learning about this attachment theory stuff. And, um, you know, when you get two or three kids, one is really hard. Two is more harder. And three is more and more harder. And uh, sometimes you just need some help. So my wife's calling, you know, friends, mentors, and a psychologist so that we could learn how to sleep train. And... um, That would mean you'd have to put your child in their crib and let them talk, scream, uh, so that they could learn that they'll get to a place that they're okay so that they can regulate themselves. Okay, so it's all psychological stuff, right? I'm learning about attachments here. I'm standing at the door going, I got to go in, hon. I got to go in. I got to help this kid. That she's going to have to get counseling the rest of her life. We don't uh, kind of help this kid right now. All right? All right, so the whole thing is more, more probably more traumatized than me than the kid. 
All right. So you know what they do today? Is a, a while ago, we had, we had some friends that had a, um, twins. And uh, they talked about a sleep sack. Do you know what a sleep sack is? It's a glorified blankie. <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought it was like, you know, like, uh, you know, one of those straight jackets. You put the kid in there, can't move and all stuff. But no, it's not. It's kind of like a blankie. They can move a bit and stuff, right? Uh, right? And so, you know, I watch my kids, you know, they read these books and all this stuff. And, and so uh, they, they've sleep trained their child, right? So there's a sequence. You read this book and this book and this. And this is the last book you read. Okay? Now, they already are in their sleep sack, right? And, and then after you're done reading this, right, then, then you turn the light off, give them a little hug, right? And because they're already in their sleep sack and they've already identified this is the last book, we're coming down to the wire, right? Then you lay them down, right? And they know because they got their sleep sack on and they read the last book that we're heading there. And then you lay them down and they go to sleep. Wow, that's kind of cool. Wish we'd been able to have that stuff. I'd have been less traumatized. Anyhow, uh, there's, there's not a perfect way. There's many really good ways. Right? Uh, we didn't do everything perfect. Our kids, uh, they, turn out, they turn out good. They, they're pretty healthy people. They're not perfect, like none of us. But they have a pretty good understanding of who they are, what they carry, and their value. Cut yourself some slack. Here we go. The ability to admit wrong... And have the strength to be weak. Second Corinthians 12. This is Paul. He's been given the thorn of the flesh. In Second, Second Corinthians, he's coming back. The first, first Corinthians, he's, he's, letting, he's lighting them up. Right? If you read that, whew, man, he is, he's letting them know, you guys got to get your stuff together. Then we get to the second one. Now he's kind of battling. He has to prove his value. And they got other teachers saying, don't believe Paul. He's not really the home run, home run hitter we are. Right? So he's, he's talking about that. Okay? And so he's, he's standing in the gap saying, folks, this is what God's called me to. This is who I am. This is what I came and offered to you. Okay? In this portion of scripture here, he's talking about the thorn in the flesh. All right? So listen to these words. But he, but he said to me, the father said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for by, for, sorry, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults and hardship and persecution and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Okay, just, just pull that out. That little piece there, you know, folks, you, you, you don't need to have it all together all the time. It's okay. It's okay to have the strength to be weak and say, I'm not quite sure what happened there. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Or, yeah, my bad. I, I did it that way. Or I really didn't mean to be unkind to you because I was a little frustrated. I, I can own that. Good parents have the ability, healthy parents have the ability to sit in this place of, I'm okay with being able to admit and own what belongs to me. Okay? Um, resting in our value, do you and I ever feel embarrassed when our kids act like children? When they misbehave? Do you have that uncle or auntie, you know, when you go visit them? They need to, they need to live by this rule. Children are to be seen and not heard. But your kids didn't quite get that message. Because they're just being kids. I, I remember, I don't know, I, I was probably in junior high, and uh, one of my older brothers had his little boy in church, and um, he didn't come to church a whole lot. 
um, my, my brother, that particular brother. And I just remember, you know, the, my little nephew was fussing. He was sitting up over there. And then all of a sudden he started screaming. I think, well, that's weird. Yeah, my brother picks him up and leaves him, you know, takes him out, right? And, I, and later I just heard the adults talking because I'm in junior high. And uh, I, they said, well, what happened? Well, he was fussing. Well, uh, so what happened? Well, I pinched him. Oh, you pinched him. Oh, okay, so that's a method. Right? Do you understand that? Right? That, that's, that's mom or dad going over and saying, hey, let me just give a little pinch here so that you can pick up that you need to kind of change your actions a little bit and come back this direction a little bit. And the pinch is just a reminder. The challenge is when a kid is two is how hard you pinch. And what's the message they pick up? And if you pinch too much, now we've got a whole different situation going on because now they're crying because you pinched them and it's too hard. The pinching method. <laughs> hmm. When you're embarrassed, when you're embarrassed when your children act like children, what, what is that about? The Lord invites us to walk in freedom. Tune into that. Okay? If, if we use the church um, illustration. If they're fussing in church because it's hard to sit there for 45 minutes, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, if that stands up in you and you go, oh, I sure hope that, uh, you know, the pastor isn't looking at me because my kid's fussing. Uh, you should probably tune into that because there's not freedom there. There's something about you needing the pastor to see you in such a way because you've empowered the pastor. Because you've said when he says to me, oh, thou good, well done, thou good and faithful parent, because your kids are behaving and not saying anything and not acting like a two-year-old, uh, then, I'll be, then I'll be valuable? No, no, no. No, no. My kid's acting like a two-year-old. How do I manage them? Oh, shoot the puck. Might need to go to the back a little, run around, let them run around, or go no, and, and uh, foyer a little bit. Why? Because they're just being a child. Different than I need them to act different in order for me to be okay. Galatians 5. Do we walk in freedom? For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful natures. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another, including our children, or be jealous of one another. Yeah, freedom, freedom. Walk in freedom. Where you don't walk in freedom and where I don't walk in freedom, I invite, I invite you to be curious. Oh, Lord, how come it's hard for me? How come do I feel less than? How come do I feel embarrassed? How come do I feel shame? Lord, help me to understand what's going on here. Tune into that stuff. Celebrating our kids well, calling them out, naming their strengths, celebrating them, helping them grieve well. Uh, one way to help them to grieve might be a message that some people heard along the way, which is, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Well, that's one way. That's not a really healthy way. Because when we're sad, when a child is sad, when we're sad, it's because something's true in their life. Draw that out. Help them to grieve well. Look at Galatians 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if anyone, if, any, if another believer is overcome by some sin... Okay, so we have enough community and fellowship with each other. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Okay, so tune into yourself as well. Share each other's burdens. In that way, in that way obey the law of Christ. 
If you think you are too, so, too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're only fooling yourself. You're not quite that important. Hmm. Where do you and I walk in, you and I walk in freedom? Okay, where, where do we have close friends that kind of help us and we model that to our kids, but we understand the value of that. And we have people close enough to us that they help us. And we have the opportunity to speak into their lives as well. And we can ask them for help. We understand what it means to be okay with not having it all together. Confessing. You understand the value of confessing. Look at uh, James chapter 5. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. You're struggling. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and to pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. If you've committed any any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. (laughs) You want to deal with the power of sin in your life if you're struggling with the sin? One of the ways is to bring it to the light and have another human being hear you and be able to sit with you and help you to understand actually... It's okay. You're more than that sin. I see you. I'm really sorry about that struggle you have. But there's far more to your life than just that struggle. Hmm. Being able to confess. Hmm. And with our kids as well. Okay. Markers of idolizing children. All right. A couple definitions. Cambridge definition. A person who is loved, admired, or respected Ah, a lot. An idol is also an object or a picture that is worshipped as a god. Okay, understand that? Webster, an object of extreme devotion, a representation or symbol of an object of worship, a likeness of something. Okay, we can kind of pick up some of that. All right, then we go Isaiah 42. Okay, here's a little, here's a little warning for us. But those who trust an idol says, uh, who say to an image, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. There's quite a correlation in the Old Testament, if you do a little study on idols and shame and shame and idols, that it says that actually those, those connect. Your idols will reveal your shame, and shame will reveal your idols. What we put our trust in will reveal to us what we put our trust in will reveal to us what we idolize. Okay? If you idolize money and you're not making enough money and your buddy's making more money, that, that'll show itself here. You'll feel less than. Shame and idols. Idols can carry a power. They can name us. We're, we're, we're dealing with children here. What we want to be careful is we don't want children to be our identity. We want the father to be the one who gives us our identity, to walk in that, and then do what we can to love our kids as best we can, not idolizing them. Okay, I found a little uh, article. Um, it's called Parents Stop Idolizing Your Children by a guy named Jerry Bell. Here's, here's uh, four points um, that, that I'll highlight by way of 
When we idolize children, here's four symptoms he suggests. One is parents who believe that their children can do no wrong. Let me read a little bit from the article. Our culture tempts us to believe that our children are in a state of perfection. When we act like our children are incapable of messing up or doing wrong, I always have the right actions or choices. When our children do wrong, we parents may try to shift the blame to another source. Unquote. Certainly children often in their innocence will be doing things not out of rebellion. They've got to get a little older before they're doing that. They're experimenting. They're, they're doing what they can to understand their world. But they can do things that are wrong, even unintentionally. And our job as parents is to help them understand that, understand the consequences of that, try to understand their motive behind it, and help them with it, and help them to understand the consequence, and maybe to change their motive. And eventually, obviously, right and wrong becomes very clear. I, I remember I was grade one. Oh, man. Back then, you know, they disciplined a little differently in school. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, you know, you have a little crush on a girl every now and then, and... In school, and I had a crush on this girl named Sharon Peters, and uh, we were coming in from school from uh, from recess, and uh, when I walked by her, I put my hand over the top of her head there just to touch the top of her head a little bit, and her uh, tooth got stuck on my arm, and it knocked to the floor, and the teacher saw it, and uh, I was in big trouble. Yeah, Calvin, up here, get to the corner. In those days, we used to have to stand in the corner. So at the front of the class, you stand over there in the corner while she was teaching. And everybody behind you was looking at you. It's called the shame corner. And, and you felt the shame. You, you felt like, oh my goodness, there's something about me uh, that I did wrong. And there's something about me that is wrong. Oh man, that, that was one way to discipline. I, I liked that little girl. I didn't mean for her hat to fall off. Hmm. The, the teacher missed that. And they're dealing with the action rather than the motive, and et cetera, et cetera. And I, I found out what shame feels like pretty good. Number two, symptoms. Symptom number two, parents believe that their children have ultimate authority. Children seem to run the show both inside and outside of the house. Children that are worshipped as idols have absolute power. They determine what they want to do, what they do not want to do. They dictate the schedule. If, if they don't like a person who tries to keep them accountable, parents will make sure that the other person changes in order that their child will get their way. Ooh, man. Uh, you, you know, when, when they get a job, it ain't going to go that good. Because the boss is going to say, ah, we're, we're just before the end of your probation, right? We can dismiss you just because. And I think we might do that because you're not listening to what I'm asking you to do, whether you like it or not. Helping children, what? To understand that actually they're not the ultimate authority. Moms and dads actually know better. And sometimes they have to help children to understand that's true. And parents have their best in mind. And even though they're sad about it, they're helping them to understand how to navigate life. Number three. Parents believe the relationship with their children is supreme. Hmm. Yeah. Typically observed as... The best friend parent model. Ooh, you know what? Your child uh, needs you to know that you're friendly and you can be their friend, but they need to be able to find other friends. 
And if you carry something that you need them to love you, you need them to love you in order for you to be okay, then it's going to be really hard for you to parent them. Because every time they don't like you, you're going to be afraid, and now you won't be able to discipline them. And you'll live in the fear of them. Fourth, parents believe they must sacrifice everything for their children. Idols always require some type of sacrifice to be appeased. Parents who idolize their children spend everything they earn. Plus, more than that, to generate materialistic happiness for their children. They will sacrifice time, energy, etc., That's different than doing what you can to help your kids to be successful, sacrificing some things so they can get ahead a little bit. Absolutely. But also helping them to what? To understand the disappointments of life. Yeah. I used Canadian Tire hockey sticks long before my boys did. They got sports checks. You know sticks are $425 now? Any of you folks that are playing hockey understand that? Okay, skates are a thousand bucks plus. All right. Okay, so I was using Canadian Tire ones, and my uh, my kids were using the expensive ones, the two hundred dollar sticks. Why? Because I want to help them. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm just playing old man hockey. Right. Okay. So there's some sacrifice there, but I didn't sell the farm. And uh, yeah, they didn't have all new equipment because I could afford new equipment. Yeah. So yeah, there's lots of disappointments they learn. Why? Because I actually don't idolize them. All right? It's helpful for us to tune into what's true for us. It's helpful for us to understand that we picked up some things as parents. And along the way, here's my, here's my little jingle. Uh, as we were growing up, as your children are growing up, as you were growing up, it's okay for you and I to take a little look. Our parents loved us. We're not throwing mom and dads under the bus. But they were unable to meet all of our needs all of the time. And they were in their own journey, which means as well, they weren't able to always be there for us in all the ways that we would have liked. And things happened, and we were hurt by them. We were touched by them. We were wounded by them. Sometimes we were traumatized by them. We felt them. We interpreted them. We came up with belief systems about ourselves, others, and our world. And we said this is true. Some of those are false beliefs. The Bible calls those childish And invites us to release ourselves from them. But if we don't take a look, we just keep carrying them. Tune into yourself and ask, man, how come sometimes I need my kids to like me so much? How come I'm so embarrassing sometimes when they act like a two-year-old? Tune into those things. Understand your own triggers so that you can walk in greater freedom. Look at this here. And the Lord said to Samuel, he's talking about Eli, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything that I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family uh, forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Not sure what's going on, but there's a possibility Eli really needed his kids to like him so much, so much so that he was unable to stand and address his boys and to deal with the sin that they were committing as priests. And there was some severe consequences. 
Okay, let's land the plane. Refocusing our priorities. I like, I like this, these verses here. Isaiah 61, 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. This is Jesus, prophecy of him. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim the captives, that the captives will be released and prisoners set free. Jesus is our healer. He's our savior and our Lord and our friend. The Lord desires for us to walk in freedom. There's things that have happened to us that if we don't take time to look at them, we just carry them. The Lord invites us to the abundant life to walk in freedom. Where you don't walk in freedom, it's okay to take some time to ask, Lord, what's that about? Because he wants to come and set us free from the things that hurt us that we then came to agree with that this is true. I can't handle that. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. And that, that shame we live under, it's not our name. It's what we experienced, what we came to believe. He wants to come and set us free from that captivity. He also sets us free from prison. You and I have done some things that put us in prison in the metaphor. Yeah. But that's not our name. There's things today that would suggest that what you and I did back there, like I'm pretty old. Things I did 40 years ago, 50 years ago. If some of those things were brought up here, you might not like me. Mm. I wish you would, but you might not. But Jesus says here, this verse says, actually, that I did that is what I did. It's not who I am. He has given us our name. Beloved, you're the apple of his eye. You're a prince or princess. He invites you to rest in the truth of those things. And sometimes we have to do a little work. Okay, we're going to land the plane here. And uh, I, like, I like this little blessing piece. Right? And I'm not sure, I'm not sure where you're at. Uh, you know, kind of in your life and all that. I'm not sure who you came with today. You might have come uh, by yourself. Uh, maybe, maybe you're married and your spouse wasn't able to come. Maybe you're here with family. Maybe you're here with friends. Okay, and, and just before the band uh, comes to play, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to just pray this prayer. I'm going to invite you to, to pray along with it. Right? And, uh, you know, if you're with some, some family here or some friends and you're comfortable, you just grab their hand a little bit. Because the Lord wants you to know that you are enough. Not perfect, but you're enough. You can work on your stuff. He wants you to sit in the place that he loves you, that you're valued, you're acceptable, you're enough. You have what it takes. And even if you don't do everything right, that's not your name. You can own up to that. You can help your kids to know that so that they have the freedom to also be able to not have it all together, but know the truth of their value. Okay, so I, want, I invite us to pray this uh, together here, right? And then the band will come, right? If you would, let's pray this together. Lord, I ask you would bless, the Lord would bless you and the Lord would keep you. That the Lord would make his face to shine on you that the Lord would be gracious to you. That the Lord would turn his face towards you. And the Lord would give you his precious peace. That we would walk in that today. Mm. We wouldn't idolize children. 
but we'd love them well. And we would allow ourselves to rest in the truth of the Father's love as his children. And we would be childlike and less childish. The Lord is good. He's good all the time. He invites us to walk in the truth of what it means to be his children and be childlike. Uh, a thought that's banging around my head a little bit is, um, yeah, maybe you've got some relationships, friendships, or children, family members where there's been a few bumps along the way, and you haven't really spoken to them for quite some time. Yeah. Take part of what we've talked about today. Hey, it's okay. You don't need to be perfect. Lord loves you. It's okay to admit being misunderstood or having done something wrong. It's okay for you to own your stuff. Because to be clear on what's primary, which is I do desire to have a relationship with you. I desire for you to know that I love you. Yeah. And perhaps there's some of you today who got some of those friendships or relationships where maybe it's maybe it's time to reach out, make a call, go for coffee, and do what you can to kind of straighten out some of those things because you're not done yet. The Lord has lots of good things He wants to continue to do through you and I. We don't need to be perfect, but let's keep the main thing the main thing. Right? Let's idolize. Let's idolize the Lord. Yeah. Let's rest in Him just as we've sung. And yeah, we can trust Him. Yeah. Bless you. Hope you have a good week. Yeah, there'll be uh, prayer counselors up front here. Uh, if you've got something that you'd just like to have prayer for, you're related to this, but certainly not related to this, come on up. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you if we can. Certainly do that amongst yourself as well. Uh, have a great week. It's good to see you. Lord blessing to you.